Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast, a place of conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to the Bible Feed Podcast. We have something a little bit different for you this time. We're joined by a guest, um, a guest that we've seen before on a on a podcast that was titled The Human Question. Um, and we're also going to be starting a new mini-series. Um, this is going to be a three-part mini-series that we trailed in a previous podcast, and it's about the history of early Christianity. Uh, we have Stephen here, Stephen Blake, to guide us. Um, firstly, Stephen, um, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, Lawrence. Uh, thank you for inviting me on again. Um, so just a little bit um, about me. So I was baptised into Christ in 2009, December 11th to be precise, and I'm a member of the Christadelphian community. I have a particular interest in church history, which started when I was at university. Excellent. Uh, I like the precision there on knowing the exact date. <laughs> I'm not sure I could give you the exact date of my baptism. So you pursued um, this this topic as part of your academic studies. Uh, what was the reason for you doing that? What was the reason that you wanted to study that? Uh, well, I studied uh, history at uni and I found that I was just interested in church history the most. Um, so every time I could choose my own sort of modules, I always gravitated towards the, the church history ones. Um, ended up doing my dissertation on a, a fascinating group of, of Christians uh, called the Anabaptists. And they contributed greatly to the Radical Reformation. Uh, so we'll touch on them a little bit just uh, a bit later on. Okay, are we going to touch on them in this this topic or is it going to be later in the series? Uh, yeah, we'll be in, in this podcast, yeah, they'll get a mention. <laughs> Excellent, good stuff, we'll look forward to that. So as we spoke about in our previous uh, podcast talking about this, we're going to split this mini-series into three parts. This one we're going to focus in on baptism and how baptism has, has altered and changed or, or um, perceived us as being different um, over the ages since the first century and through that early those early years of Christianity. So that's the first one. And then we're going to look at uh, persecution, the persecution of the church, um, how that developed through the ages. Um, and then the final session, the final podcast that we'll look at is around uh, the organization of the church and how that developed in those early, early years as well. First of all, the question is, why is looking back at these these topics and looking back at um, early Christianity, why is it useful for us? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say that looking at history gives us a really valuable perspective about what Christianity was, um, what it was like at the beginning, and also how it's changed over time. And I personally believe it's hugely important for us to try to seek out as best we can what original, authentic, sometimes called primitive Christianity was. So what was Christianity like in the beginning? Um, the main way we can do that is by reading the Bible and by learning what Jesus and his disciples taught in the first century, as you said. But in addition to this, church history can help us approach the topic from a, a different angle, if you like, and to see how mainstream Christianity changed over time and in some cases fell away from the original beliefs and practices uh, that Jesus and the apostles taught uh, contained in the New Testament. So an appreciation of church history can help us avoid that mistake. Uh, so it can be really helpful in our discipleship and in our quest to get back to original, authentic Christianity. 
That's a really interesting term, authentic Christianity there. And we can probably debate for hours about uh, the exact precise meaning of authentic Christianity. But I think for us, you know, as Christadelphians, we would try and base that as much as possible on what we read in our Bible, I presume. And that's the way that I approach it. And I'm sure you would as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, we were born out of the uh, what's called the restorationist uh, period of, of church history when there was a keen interest in uh, in trying to figure out what uh, original Christianity was and see what do we need to do, uh, what do we need to change, what what can we do to get back as best we can to to those early beliefs and practices. And I suppose there's that uh, that that quote: um, uh, "Those that do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it." So. Mm. I suppose learning from this this history and looking back at the history, we can learn lessons that hopefully we don't repeat. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as we go into into this series, I think it's probably worth setting a bit of a, a framework about how we think about this early Christian history and kind of how how we slot uh, the different things that we're going to discuss into into a framework a time framework because we know that the new testament it leaves us around about i know something like ad 96 something like that Um, and obviously there's a lot of history that's happened since then (laughs) especially in those early years um there was some spreading of the gospel The, the church was very very nascent very you know very new do you have any shorthand ways of thinking about how we split up this this church history yeah, so the the Penguin History of the Church, uh, seven volumes if you're if you're interested, um, and they kind of split up the that huge chunk of of history you just mentioned there, Lawrence, in roughly the following way. Uh, so you've got the early church fathers. Uh, that's kind of the the first few centuries after the New Testament, roughly up to to Constantine the Great, uh, who will come on to a bit later in the, in a future podcast, God willing. Um, so that takes you to about the, the start of the, the fourth century AD. Um, the Middle Ages is a, a huge period of, uh, of time, but you can roughly split it up into the primitive age. So 700 to, to 1050 AD, uh, the age of growth, 1050 AD to 1300, the age of unrest, 1300 to 1550, and then the, uh, Reformation. Uh, so the Protestant Reformation, the, the Catholic Reformation, and that's um, in the 16th century AD. After that, you get the, the Age of Enlightenment, uh, sort of 17th and 18th centuries, and then you're starting to get more to the to the kind of modern period. Um, so that's one way of just kind of splitting things up. And so as we talk about this topic, baptism, wh- where are we going to be seeing developments here is it is it across the whole street or is it is are there kind of peaks and troughs of changes throughout that that timeline well, i think what we're going to see is that uh, we can get from the new testament and from from church history there was a great unity on what baptism was all about what did it mean what didn't it mean who was it for and um, we're going to see that it greatly changed over time actually so it didn't sort of uh, stay the same, if you like. There's lots of different views came in. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting for us to spend a bit of time looking at. So thank you for setting that framework. Um, let, let's turn our, turn our attention to the topic of baptism then. As Christadelphians, both you and I have been baptised and it's a very important moment in our journey of belief. It's a time when we've responded to the teachings that 
for many of us we've heard for many years and then responded to for some people they've they've heard for a, for a shorter period of time and then respond um to that gospel message and it's a very public declaration sometimes that's a bit <laughs> awkward for some people isn't it that the whole public mm, nature of, yeah. of baptism and declaring that you now want to live a life you know with Christ as your head and 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 following in his his footsteps but the question is, how did this idea of baptism develop since the apostolic period? Great question. Okay, so I think firstly it's important just to clarify what we mean when we talk about the words baptism, because it's a bit of a loaded term. It can mean different things to different people. There's two different types of baptisms, really. Um, so the first one is adult baptism, and that's sometimes referred to as believer's baptism or credo baptism. Uh, so that's the first type. And the second type is infant baptism, sometimes referred to as pedo-baptism. When we consult the Bible, when we consult the, the New Testament of the Bible, the only baptism we'll find there is the first one, so the adult believer's credo-baptism. Uh, but what does that word baptism actually mean? Uh, well, it comes from a, a Greek word uh, that means to, to dip, to sink, to immerse, etc., and in the context of the New Testament, as we'll see shortly, it means to dip, sink, immerse in water. Interestingly, there's no mention at all in the New Testament of infant baptism. Probably a good segue to to look at an example of uh, of believers' baptism. Shall we have a look at uh, Matthew twenty eight? Let me just read that. What's the context of, of what we're going to read here from Matthew twenty eight? Before before I read it, this is after the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he has a, a mission for his followers. That's uh, broadly speaking. Uh, the uh, the background to this passage okay so this is right at the end of of matthew and it's it's giving a commission isn't it to those those disciples that were and they're just about to go out into the world and and start preaching the gospel so it says in matthew 28 starting at verse 18 all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i command you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age what's this saying then uh, as you said this this commission is sometimes referred to as the the great commission uh, that jesus had for his followers to to make disciples of all the nations baptizing them and directing them to, to follow his teaching. So a, a disciple is someone who learns. So we would say it's a student. So I think what Jesus was saying here is that he wanted people to become students of his. And a significant part of that was being baptized. Uh, so when we look to the, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, which we'll do near the end of this podcast, um, we'll see how that sort of uh, took place. So people hear the gospel message being preached. They believe the gospel once they've heard it. And immediately after that, they are baptized. So they hear the gospel, 
believe it, and then are baptised. That's the sort of process that uh, that took place. This comes back to the the type of baptism that you were looking at before, and you would class that as uh, the first type, which was adult baptism or credo baptism. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. So all the disciples of Jesus were uh, grown men. Um, they were making a conscious decision to to follow Jesus. Part of that was to uh, follow his his teaching to to baptize people um, who were capable of of understanding the the gospel that was being preached to them. What we're talking about there is is linked back to the first type of baptism that you referred to, Stephen, when you said adult baptism or or credo baptism. That what that credo at the beginning of baptism there. What, what does that word mean? Uh, so that comes from a, a Latin word which just means belief. Um, so it's like a, a fancy way of saying believers baptism. Okay, believers' baptism. Excellent, thank you. Okay, so that's that first type of uh, baptism then. Uh, so before we move on uh, to look at this in early church history, is there, any, is there anything else that we need to to learn about this uh, baptism that we find in um, the first century? Yeah, so there's a few different uh, components to the, the topic of baptism. We can look at it from a few different angles about what it's all about. Uh, lots of references in the New Testament we could look at. One that I think is really helpful is in the letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. Should we have a look at that one? Yeah, sure. Uh, so this is the quote from Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at the first eight verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do we not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ, Jesus, have been baptised into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be uh, in the likeness of his resurrection." knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with uh, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Thank you, Lawrence. I appreciate that was uh, quite a long quotation there, but it's uh, I find in the, the writings, particularly of the, the Apostle Paul, there's so much... Um, that is squeezed into each verse. It's difficult to know what to, uh, where to, um, you know, take the quotation, when to stop. Just to kind of summarise, I think what you read there. So when we're baptised, we're, we're baptised into Christ's death, and uh, there's this phrase used that we die to sin. This allows us to walk in newness of life, uh, which I think means living a completely new and different life following Jesus, and. Uh, uniting ourselves with the death of Jesus by being baptised gives us the hope of being resurrected like Jesus was. And this is all absolutely amazing, isn't it? Passages like this show how important baptism is to associate ourselves with the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's not an, an optional extra if we want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's you could say it kind of follows from this passage that if we have not been baptised into Christ's death, then we're in serious danger uh, of not being resurrected. Baptism really is important. It really is, you could say, a matter of life and death. 
So I think probably from the, the, the quotes that we've already seen, so we've not even got into church history yet, but we've seen establishing a foundation of believers' baptism it is, you know, is what they were doing in the first century. We saw how it was associating themselves with the death and resurrection of their saviour and how it was in as a response to a message. It was, as you said, a believer's baptism. So it was responding to something and believing in Christ. So with that background and with that foundation, what perspective then does the early church have on this topic? Uh, I just want to quote from a book called Early Christian Doctrines. Uh, it's written by a historian and uh, they're not a Christadelphian. Uh, so none of the quotations from historians that I'll be referencing are Christadelphians, just in case you're, you're wondering whether I'm just cherry picking people that might already agree with me. Uh, but this is a quotation from, from this book, Early Christian Doctrines. From the beginning, baptism was the universally accepted right of admission into the church. So what this historian is saying is that the, the first followers of Jesus were all in complete agreement that believer's baptism is how you become a member of the church, how you become a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, and it's in- incredible that in those early early days, um, they had this amount of unity of, of uh, view about one of the core constructs of, of Christianity. You certainly wouldn't see that level of agreement today amongst amongst Christians. Um, you know, some people think of uh, believer's baptism. Um, some people think that's optional. You don't need to be baptized at all. It's very different, isn't it, from these first Christians and how these first Christians uh, believe? Yes, it's a very different situation today. So we can get that perspective um, that there was complete unity um, at the beginning. And then over time, there isn't that unity about what baptism is all about um, with Christianity at large today. So I would say if we if we truly value original, authentic Christianity, it's inevitable we just can't avoid acknowledging that baptism is a hugely important part of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Uh, so we've seen the, the Great Commission of the, uh, the earliest followers of Jesus to make disciples of all the nations. And we've seen the importance that uh, the Apostle Paul um, was able to write these inspired um, letters because of wisdom that had been given to him. There's like a, a mouthpiece of, of God and, and the Lord Jesus. Uh, there's a, a huge emphasis and importance placed on on baptism. So I believe that wasn't always then the case, this kind of unity at the beginning. It wasn't always the case, as we've seen, it's, it's different today. But there was even a time when uh, there was a ban, an outright ban on uh, the idea of adult baptism. It's almost like a full reversal on what we see in Scripture. I mean, what's the context behind that? Sadly, yes, that is right, Lawrence. Yep. Um, so adult baptism, believer's baptism, uh, that was outlawed in 412 AD. Uh, so this was when Honorius was Roman emperor. So as you said, it's, it's absolutely incredible that at the beginning, baptism was universally accepted as by Christians, as how you become a disciple of Jesus Christ uh, by 412 AD. Okay, it's a good few centuries afterwards, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not actually that long. Um, the practice was made illegal, it, you know, completely different situation from the beginning to a few centuries afterwards. Yeah, and so, so what was what was it that drove that ban? What was the, what caused it? That's something I would like to look into a lot more, actually, when I get the time. Um, so I can't provide a detailed answer, but I can say that uh, in 380 AD, um, so that's just a few decades earlier, uh, the Emperor Theodosius had officially made Catholic Christianity the only legitimate religion of 
the Roman Empire. Um, so the religion of the Roman Empire kind of officially and legally became uh, Catholic Christianity. And this kind of branch of Christianity, if you like, had diverted from the teaching of the Bible and had replaced uh, believer's baptism with infant baptism. Another, another quote here from a different historian this time, just to demonstrate that. So the quote is, what began as a right to initiate adult believers into the Christian church developed over several centuries into a ritual centered upon a passive infant. Um, so what that historian is saying there uh, is that infant baptism gradually replaced believers baptism. And so much so that uh, refusal to accept pedo baptism, so infant baptism, uh, was a capital offence since the days of Roman law under the emperors Theodosius and Justinian. Um, so punishable by death to refuse infant baptism was a capital offence to, to practice adult baptism. Um, so it's a really uh, incredible situation that, uh, that was taking place. quotes and and attribution etc of all the quotes we'll put um with the with the podcast so you can refer to these uh, yourself but it's really interesting that you know this believer's baptism that was was taught in the bible was was made illegal at that point in history and then infant baptism came and it became the the, the way in which people were brought into into the church as it were did this infant baptism become a legal requirement as well or was there any legal requirement about um, infant baptism yes yeah, so that was um you had to legally accept um infant baptism to refuse to have your your child um baptized was a um a serious offense um so you would put your life in danger by refusing infant baptism and you would put your life in danger by practicing adult baptism as well so it's a really dangerous time for anyone who wanted to to practice believers baptism just to maybe emphasize this change of of approach from uh, baptism as being a response um, to a message um, to being essentially a way into a church state system. There's a, there's a really interesting quote that I found from, again, this is the, the Penguin History of, of, uh, of the Church, book two, two of seven. <laughs> um, and this one's the Western Society um, and the Church in the Middle Ages. And there's a little quote here, which is kind of really sums up this this change. And it says, for the vast majority of members of the church, baptism was as involuntary as birth, and it carried with it obligations as binding and permanent as birth into a modern state, uh, with the further provision that the obligations attached to baptism could no, in no circumstances be renounced. It seems like this was part of being born into this Western society was um, it, baptism was attached to that. Yeah, so you, you're born into it legally so that that baby that infant becomes a a member of the church if you like even though it has you know let's be honest has no idea what's going on um it's technically a member of the of the church the established church and it would be a an attack on that authority if you 
refuse to have your child baptized. And it'd be an attack on that authority if you wanted to practice believer's baptism instead. So that really interesting quote there just helps to explain what was the motive behind uh, enforcing infant baptism and also banning adult baptism. Yeah. So, I mean, we're in the fortunate position now where we, we can have believer's baptism. So things must have changed. When do we get back to a situation where adult baptism, based on an individual's response to a message or the gospel, when, when is that allowed again? Well, it was still, um, even as late as the 16th century, uh, it was still incredibly dangerous, uh, hugely controversial to, to practice adult baptism, believer's baptism. Uh, so people who did were called by their opponents um, rebaptizers or Anabaptists. Some of you may have heard of uh, Anabaptism or, or the Anabaptists. Uh, they're still around today. So mainstream Christians, even Protestant reformers, thought that the, the only baptism that was necessary uh, was infant baptism. So if you practice adult baptism, this was, in their eyes, to be baptized again, a re-baptism. Uh, so to actually answer your question, Lawrence, it, it wasn't until what's known as the, the Enlightenment of the, the 17th and 18th centuries that it became a lot safer to, to practice believers' baptism because there was less sort of power uh, concentrated in the uh, in the church. So the name Anabaptist would have been given to this group rather than them taking it on themselves. Did they call themselves that? or At the start, it was something that they were kind of called almost like a as an insult, really. Um, you're a rebaptizer, which isn't how the actual Anabaptists themselves um, saw it. They they didn't see it as rebaptism at all. I would have thought over time they started referring to themselves as Anabaptists at some point. Uh, like Anabaptists do today, for example. When they're <laughs> describing themselves, they don't mean it in a derogatory way, but I think that's how it was used at the at the start, yeah. Okay, so we've been on a bit of a journey. We've seen some fluctuations, haven't we, in the in the approach to, to baptism during this history. So what, why, why is that exercise useful for us? We've seen that original authentic Christianity has, uh, in some cases, had hugely important parts taken away from it and replaced by practices which are not taught anywhere in the Bible. And if we value what Jesus Christ and his earliest followers believed and practiced, we should hold on to what we read in the New Testament and be willing to, to disregard practices that aren't found there as well. Um, so I think that church history can provide a, a very helpful perspective on what original Christianity was and, and how it's changed over time. Yeah, I think we've got time, haven't we, Lawrence, to just look at one more example from the Book of Acts? Yeah, let's have a, another example. So you mentioned that um, we would have a look at an example from Acts of the Apostles uh, when Philip was uh, baptising or found uh, an Ethiopian eunuch on his on his journey. Um, so let me just read a passage from Acts chapter 8, and this is going to start at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth... And began from the from this scripture, he preached Jesus unto him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. Mm, thank you, Lawrence. So we can see in this passage there the process that we 
referred to near the beginning. So the gospel was preached. Uh, someone believes the gospel and then they're baptized. Just kind of in passing as well, we can also see that baptism was about going down into the water uh, and coming up out of the water as well. What can we take from that? That New Testament baptism, this believer's baptism we've been referring to, uh, that was about going completely down into the water, being immersed, if you like, immersed in water. Um, so it wasn't about having water poured on the head uh, or anything like that. And another point to, to take from this is that we can also see that baptism is about joy. <laughs> so this uh, this eunuch, this court official, uh, he went away on his way rejoicing after he had been baptized. Uh, so baptism is about becoming a disciple of Jesus. Uh, we can look at other passages where we see that it's about having our sins washed away, allowing us to, to live a completely new life in Christ, giving us the hope of eternal life. Um, so it's extremely joyful to be baptized into Christ. I think that's something I really wanted to, to emphasize because although it's great <laughs> to my mind anyway, looking at the, the history and, um, and things like that and kind of uh, implications of that, but it's, we shouldn't lose sight of the, the emotional side of things either, that it's, it's a very, yeah, emotional time to, to be baptized and, uh, because it has such a, deep meaning for, for every disciple of Jesus. Yeah, it's a very personal and very individual response, isn't it? Direct response to the word of God. And that, you know, that, that that's incredible in itself. You know, you're reading the word of God and you you make a personal response to that and and your declaration of, uh, to that is is this very public display of of baptism. Yeah, so it was the the eunuch's choice, he was exercising his his free will to be baptized. Obviously, we take from that he's old enough to to believe um, what the gospel was to, to understand what was being preached to him uh, and he was baptized into Christ and this is exactly the same for believers baptism today uh, so choosing to follow Jesus with their own free will uh, uniting ourselves with his death and resurrection as we saw from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans and in turn we receive by God's grace uh, forgiveness of our sins and the prospect of eternal life uh, so that's that same joy that this uh, this eunuch, this court official had um, in the first century AD. We can experience a, a similar joy if we choose to embrace uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. So I think, um, you know, we've been through this uh, this topic of baptism. Undoubtedly, there's many more quotes and many more things that we could look a look out in in church history relating to to this topic for for the listeners uh Stephen, what would you recommend for kind of further reading or recommendations on books for kind of more detailed study on this well i really recommend uh, a book called the early church by henry chadwick uh, so i found that one really good introduction to to the topic and quite uh, kind of accessible uh, as well um, other useful books would be early christian doctrines and also one called Doctrine and Practice in the Early Church. Uh, so they're a bit more kind of specialists, if you like. But if you found this topic interesting, then those three would uh, be highly recommended. I also have a, a PDF document, uh, which I've got loads of different references from church history, a few references from those three books just mentioned there. So if anyone would like a, a copy of that, I'd be happy to, to share it with them. Wonderful. So thank you. And uh, we'll we'll make some uh, reference to the resources and the material towards the end of this podcast series so that you can get access to to some of these 
these recommendations. So we look forward to a future episode with you, Stephen, uh, looking at another aspect of Christianity. Just remind us what the next one's all about. The next podcast in this series will be about persecution uh, and how that's had a huge influence uh, on Christianity, both in the first century AD and uh, a few centuries later as well. Um, so although it sounds like a bit of a, uh, a serious kind of dark topic, Christians being persecuted, hopefully we'll see there's some, uh, some positive examples and inspiring stories as well about how Christians gave their lives for what they thoroughly and firmly believe to be true. Great. Thank you, Stephen. We look forward to that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, please subscribe on Facebook and Instagram. Go to Bible Feed online. And also on our website, you can find us at uh, BibleFeed.org. So please let us know your suggestions. Give us some feedback on the podcast series and g- give us some recommendations for um, your own reading um, on this topic um, and also any ideas for, for future topics. So Thank you once again and see you next time. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think and hear your questions on subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send us a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey.